everyone. Welcome back to the Emergency Medical 101 podcast. Today we're going to be talking about the most uncomfortable patient that you have to deal with. But before I continue, I wanted to say thank you guys so much for the past few weeks. The past two episodes that I had posted, um, there was a huge influx in subscribers, ratings, likes, and I got a few emails for a few things that I'll go ahead and address towards the end of this episode. But I wanted to say a big thank you. And the consumption rate or the average consumption rate of each episode has now went up to around 80%. For a lot of podcasts, getting that consumption rate around the 60% is considered a success because it's very difficult to get people to latch on and listen in for the entire period, let alone you know four-fifths of it. So I wanted to say a big thank you to you guys, and I really appreciate it. And if you like the episode and if you like the show, please like, please subscribe, um, and then just you know send a good rating um, or send me an email if you want to talk, uh, talk about it or any ideas that you could have for further episodes. But with that being said, let's go ahead and jump into the content today. So today we're going to be talking about the most uncomfortable patient to deal with, um, and for most of us, that is the psych patients, right? They can be very rough to deal with mentally or even physically. And sometimes, whether it's a short experience, uh, you know, going into someone's home and bringing them into the hospital or holding them in the hospital for evaluation or treatment, it could really take a toll on you, even in that short time. So it's incredibly important to understand these patients, right? You want to understand how to approach them. You want to understand the, the things that might be going on in their mind. And if you've never experienced it, like many things, you don't really have a place to to say right what they should do or how they should do stuff or anything like that because you just don't know what it's like on the other side of the fence but with this as providers we're trying to understand and that's what the whole objective of this kind of patient is we want to talk to them we want to examine them we want to ask them questions and we want to gauge them as a person psychosis is a spectrum of different diagnoses it should not be categorized as one type of patient as we're evolving like socially and technologically, we have learned so much more about the mind than we ever thought possible. And because of that, we can, can treat so many different diseases and so many illnesses. Now, I wanna say that I'm not an expert in this field. Um, I don't wanna play PhD. Um, and, and I don't want you guys to feel like I'm giving you the only way to treat these patients and the only way to talk to them. I just wanna teach you from my experience and also from research, maybe the best way to approach them and how to handle a situation that you might feel uncomfortable in and make it easier on both of you. But one thing has to be understood is that psychosis itself is a disconnect with reality. I say this because we as providers have a tendency like most to throw around the word psychotic or even group patients together due to like behavior, you know, them being crude or really just, they're just unbearable to be around. But psychosis can also be episodic. It can reappear or disappear given certain circumstances. So this patient, although they might be unbearable in the moment, that might not be who they are as a person. And you might be the, the stepping stone for them to getting back who they are. But let's talk about some of those episodes a little bit. So, you know, there is always something that starts the, the snowball effect, right? For some of these and some of these patients, it could be things like medications. You can have reactions that induce hallucinations. You can have traumatic reappearance of a person or an event in their life causing them to spiral. You can have suppressed events that kind of you know pop up here and there and it turns off their spatial awareness. Um, we all remember bath salts, you know, illicit drug use and stuff like that. 
or even something like mushrooms can cause those distant fields of reality. You know, things change. You're, you're in reality, but things are changing and warping around you. You know, even something as simple as bad news or a small hormone imbalance can cause these episodes to happen. And a big thing, especially with it being wintertime, is that we can also just have seasonal depression. Sometimes depression itself is very crippling. But there are physiological and sociological reasons for a patient to act differently than what they typically do. But now that we know the big picture, let's talk about why psych is one of the hardest fields in medicine and why, as providers, we lack the ability to properly assess these patients and treat them. The first thing is that we don't have much resources or training in this type of medicine. And sociology is very foreign to most people in healthcare. We excel in treating patients with things like abdominal pain and heart attacks and strokes because we can scan and test many different ways. And once we have found the issue to, you know, to stop it, all we have to do is give them medication or surgical intervention. But that's not the case for mental health. Now, this doesn't just apply to people on the extreme side of the spectrum. It also applies to all forms of mental illness and most common is depression. A large portion of the population experiences depression and it can cause negative outlooks on their own life or even making threatening comments towards providers, which can make treatment of them very difficult. But what's more worrisome about this is that the kind, this kind of patient is typically withdrawn from others, and mostly this is seen with their family. Um, it can be very mild, you know, just not wanting to go to social gatherings and things like that, or it can be severe, and they might distance themselves for a long, long period of time. But what point I really want to drive home is that these patients are typically very difficult to communicate with and puts a lot of providers in an uncomfortable position. To second that, they can also be very difficult to treat because they typically are very unwilling to accept it or understand how their brief encounter with you will change their life after they return to their normal day-to-day. -day. And we have to remember that depression is largely due to lifestyle and its events occurring around them. There's usually nothing we can do to change that because of our limited time with them. That's why providing resources for follow-up treatment or therapy is incredibly important. I ask a lot of providers if they know resources in their communities to give patients that are in need of it, but most do not know, and the companies that you work for typically will not have them readily available. So getting resources is going to be up to you as a provider and knowing what resources are available in your community or even nationally, things that you can you can give your patient to help them is gonna set you apart from most providers. When trying to treat these patients, you have to figure out a few things first. You know, you want to figure out what you're treating. Is this a manic episode? Are they suicidal? Are they homicidal? Are they in a state of excited delirium? Or is this a schizophrenic episode? Or in the worst scenario, is this multiple things? Is this more than one? Because then that will be extremely difficult for you to treat. But most of these can be found out by just gauging their behavior. Are they irrational? Are they erratic in behavior? Like pacing around the room or approaching you suddenly and without prompt? You know, do they, they, they might seem paranoid. Um, they might seem paranoid having multiple people around them. I'll tell you from experience that sometimes it's best to limit the amount of people around the patient so they don't get aggressive or lash out of fear. You have to understand that when we are in a delirious or altered state, you know, whether it be from drugs or whether it be from a psychotic break or anything like that, that we go back to our basic animal instincts. And the number one instinct for any animal is self-preservation. 
So swarming a patient can cause the issue to worsen. That's typically why they will lash out a lot quicker. They feel like they're being attacked, even if nobody is physically attacking them. If you're assuming care of this patient, then you want to keep their focus on you. You have to be 100% invested and not pass the torch because of a large portion of your interaction is going to be about building trust with them. You know, And if you don't build the trust with them, you won't get to the root of what is going on. Before you walked in the room or before you have shown up in their home, you should have a conversation with your team, you know, talk about the details, the, you know, the considerations. If EMS brought you a patient from the outside, what did they tell you? What did they see? What did they, what did they have go on? Was their family there? Was there an event that happened before? You know, did they have to make an intervention because they were overdosed? Did they, you know, tell them something differently than they're telling you? Um, so talk with your team before going in and assess, you know, is this, is this going to put me in a safe spot? You know, how should I approach this? What was your experience with it? Things like that. But when you're talking with them, it's best to just keep eye contact. You want them to know that you're actively listening to them. Sometimes it's better to sit in the room with them for a few minutes or even shake their hand to let them know that you're invested. Introduce yourself immediately and just state who you are and why you're here. So if I walk into a room and whenever I did this, hundreds of times working on the ambulance, I'd come in and I'd say, hey, my name is Lewis, I'm a paramedic. What's going on with you? And after telling them who you are, why you're there, ask them to tell you their story. You know, how did it lead up to the point of you being in the room with them? How did it lead up to the point where someone called 911? You know, how did it lead up to this point? You have to understand that many psych patients have been disregarded by a lot of healthcare providers in the past. So how you approach them will dictate the outcome for you and for them in the long run. And even if, let's say, that you're not super invested in their story or you're having a bad night and things like that, it will make it worse if you don't invest at least a tiny bit into who they are. But you want to avoid any sounds of judgment. This doesn't mean that you can't make jokes with them. Sometimes the patient needs to see the human side of you. They get a lot of people in healthcare that go in, extremely buttoned up, extremely professional, things like that. And for them, they, they, don't, they don't work in healthcare. They don't know half of the things that you're gonna tell them. They don't know why you're getting blood work on them. They don't know, you know, all of this other stuff. So the objective here is to show them that you are human and that they can communicate with you without feeling trapped. You also wanna keep the conversation focused on the subject until you have a plan for treatment. They might go on talking about a story for 30 minutes and it clogs the system and it kind of just clogs the time. So be forward without being abrupt. And what I mean by that is find a hole in the sentence, find a hole in their story, something like that, where you can bring the conversation back on track without cutting them off. But anyway, so we talk about a lot of the emergency side of things here because that's the goal of this show. But what point I really want to drive home is that you set the stage for their care after. And if you've been very unpleasant, if you've been hateful, if you've been judgmental, then it'll cause a hesitation for the patient to accept care or, or be willing to talk about the issues that might be affecting them in the future. So in short, it'll defeat the whole purpose of your job, right? If you are the person that you're just not invested, you're, you're not being pleasant to be around, you're being very judgmental, you're being rash, you're being harsh, it's only going to make the situation harder on you as a provider, but it's also going to make it hard on the patient. And the whole, of job, and the whole objective of healthcare is to help the patient, right? 
um, aside from all the money and stuff like that. Because, but that that's a whole diff- that's a whole different conversation. We're not going to go there right now. But you as a provider, you want to be able to help them. You want to be pleasant. You want them to feel comfortable talking to you because then that's how you're going to get the most out of it. Anyway, after they tell you their story and after you get enough of the information to start building a plan, don't let the conversation in there. There is so many more things that you can do with this patient and most of it is just talking to them. Some of these patients too, the longer that they're in your care, if you're boarding this patient in your ER waiting for a psych, you know, psychiatric consult or if you are you know, with them for just a brief time, sometimes talking to them just about their, their normal history or their normal life and stuff like that, letting them tell you a story is, is enough to change your plan, right? If you know somebody has a, a previous history of drug abuse and so you know they're, they're also having symptoms of other things that you might want to treat, then it, it makes you more cautious about you know, what you want to give them and things like that. And it makes you kind of think more well-rounded. One of my biggest pet peeves in healthcare is when somebody walks into a room or walks into a house and they have a three to five minute conversation. They ask them all of the basic sample questions. You know, what's your signs? What's your symptoms? What's your allergies? What's your medications? What's your pertinent medical history? What's what's the last thing you ate? And what's the events leading up to? And that's it. Ask them more questions. And with that, that's everything I have for you guys today. If you like the show, please like, please subscribe. And if you're interested in either being on the show or if you wanted a topic covered, feel free to reach me at emergencymedical101 at gmail.com. All my links are tagged below too if you're interested in reading any of the research that I did. Um, Like every single video, I always put it in the description below. And also you can follow me on Instagram. You can ask me questions if you're curious about anything, if you need help with your NREMT. So with that, that's everything, guys. Y'all have a great day. Thank you again so much for listening.